Welcome to the McCovey Croncast. It is uh, Friday, January 29th, and I'm Brian Murphy, and with me is... Doug Brizzoni. And we are joined today by, by my buddy Joe. Joe Fuston, say hi to the crowd. Good to talk to you, Brian. Good to talk to you, Doug. I, I enjoy this podcast. Uh, I brought in Joe because, well, thank you, and, and Joe has listened to the podcast, so he's that is an informed opinion. Uh, I brought in Joe because... Uh, after our podcast last week, we are friends, and he goes and he told me that none of us, and there were three of us on the podcast. If you haven't listened, listen, check out Wendy Thurm uh, from last week. Great guest, long, lengthy discussion. But none of us, apparently, Doug, made any of the salient points for keeping the designated hitter or for excluding the designated hitter from the National League. And and uh, as Joe, someone who you are very good at uh, making convincing arguments, I thought, well, got to bring you right right on the show to make that case. Um, and one more note: the commissioner, uh, Rob Manfred, after saying that it looked like an inevitability, has kind of walked back uh, some of that talk about the DH coming to the National League and saying it's not going to happen immediately. So that's the setup. Doug, you you still are strongly opposed to the, to the National League getting the DH, correct? That is correct. And Joe, you think you think there should be DHs in every walk of life uh, for every I, type I, of job? I, I really find walking up the stairs without a designated walker kind of a cumbersome prospect, and I would like the the commissioner of Major League Baseball to find a way to fix that for me. Uh, all right, so there we go, Joe. What was what's the argument that we missed? With the with the DH uh, and the National League staying out, separating them. So the first thing I really want to say is I actually quite enjoy having both options to view as as a gaming, uh, as a set of rules. I actually really like having both that are there. The reasons that were given in the podcast were it hasn't been that way, so I don't want it to change that way, and that was about all I heard, and so. I would like to better articulate the DH is not the act of the devil side, even though I really don't want it to change either. I actually enjoy watching, you know, at the time, Tim Hudsonberry, Zito, Mark Mulder, you know, before they all got traded to the National League, try to mess with it, you know, once a year. Oh, that's right, folks. Again, Joe is an A's fan, if you didn't know, but he's he's a very intelligent uh, human being who knows a lot about baseball. Uh, not to say that Ace fans are not intelligent, but he knows what he's talking about. Uh, he's he's a math major, and he can he can tell me about baseball and uh, things I don't even know. Doug, you you know how to tell me things about baseball, like like a like how a good normal intelligent person, a rational person, uh, should look at baseball. And Joe's able to do that and also explain some extra advanced statistics. And this is great. I'm just going to sit and listen now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the tradition, though, big part, obviously, but uh, w- what else are we missing here? So having the balance, what else? So the the biggest thing as far as my pro-DH argument rule is, essentially you've already lost. I have watched every minor league game, college baseball, and this is the entropy of the direction that it's going. And so the tradition is probably the strongest argument, but the National League of all the baseball leagues is probably the last one left that holds on to this, this rule. And, and that is, again, for me, the best argument. So I will, I will accept that argument perfectly willingly. I enjoy watching National League baseball. 
all that being said, the biggest arguments that exist against it, and one of them's on, well, was on the, this very team, is pitchers get hurt all kinds of ways. And then when they get hurt with a thrown ball hitting them, like Ryan Vogel's song or in an even dumber example, Granky from the Beanball Wars a, couple, a, a year and a half ago or whenever that was with the Diamondbacks, why add one more way that when getting pitchers getting hurt is the top of mind for a number of people, add one more way for them to get hurt in a baseball game and lose them for three to four weeks, four to six weeks with a broken hand, a broken this or that by adding one more thing that, that they very well could get hurt at. Okay. <laughs> That's, <laughs> I, I don't want pitchers getting hurt either, but I don't want any of the players I like getting hurt. And I don't know. I, uh, Hunter Pence, he got hit in spring training. I wish that players didn't get hurt in spring training. Uh, and that, you know, that kind of gummed up his whole year and the job that he started to do. What's that? Oh, he got hurt in the course of the job. That, well, at the same time, you know, some guys can't field and, and so they shouldn't be out in the field. The DH allows the cover for that, but at the same time, fielding, hitting, that seems to be a part of the game, uh, regardless. And yeah, you said the argument is that we've essentially lost the battle already, but the intention of the game was was exactly what it was historically before these changes, this ripple effect started coming through. So to me, it, it's not it's a tradition in the sense of like, yeah, it's tradition, but I don't see why it, it's not some sort of suppressive negative tradition. I really don't see it as that. And I'm someone who's completely for pretty much any other change in the game that you could you could make but to me the version of baseball that that i knew and yeah grew up on whatever but that i recognize as baseball is this version and the dh is always a is always the modification and now i've got people who've only known the dh coming in saying like no that's real baseball and that's what it should be and i and i find that to be very strange i'm fine with uh instant replay i'm fine with um whatever the other changes are that you know having the 26th man for the for the day night double headers however you want to say it whatever other moderate or modifications they've made they're going to have to look at the rule change uh look at the rule for a guy touching a bag when he slides across a bag because instant replay is so like the detail that we can capture on camera is so great now that it's reversing obvious safe calls because there's like a, a you know a millimeter of separation between now the the hand and the bag that we can see when that's not the intention of the rule. So, you know, but that'll be modified, that'll be changed, and you know, with the national with the designated hitter, I get all the arguments why, but even keeping it the same, I feel like it's a it's a perfectly perfectly cromulent argument that it should that it should stick around and i'm even for the idea of all right fine if you're a team that has the the designated hitter just so you stop being stop being such whiny babies about it you can keep your dh wherever you play so you never have to not have a dh and that means the other team so if they come to the national league park they can have a dh and the national league team can have a dh too and it's just if you have a DH, you have a DH. Fine, but to me, I'm I enjoy watching National League baseball, and and that's that and the reason why is there's no DH. That that's as simple as I care to make the argument. Well, um, for me, I would say that there's a couple things. First is that 
saying that every, you know, little every, you know, minor league and college league doesn't use the D or uses the DH is well, it's not entirely accurate. Double uh, A AA and Triple A. If there's an NL team involved, there's no DH. Um, or if it's if it's only NL teams involved, if it's like the Giants affiliate playing the Mets affiliate, no DH. If it's the Giants affiliate playing an A's affiliate, they use the DH. Double A AA and Triple A only. The other thing is that um, just because a guy gets you know a pitcher gets hurt batting, and you know the Giants have seen it. The Giants saw it with Dan Runzler a few years ago. I think did it happen to Sergio Romo too? Um, just because that happens doesn't mean that it's not part of their job. You know, part of your job as a baseball player is to go out and do all of the things on a baseball diamond. Uh, one of those things is hitting. And so for me, I count it as part of their job. You know, relievers don't do it that much because they don't have to and they don't practice it. If a starting pitcher can't go out there and swing the bat, then there is something wrong with him. Like if that's if that's going to make him more susceptible to injury than a position player, then he needs to address that with conditioning or something. And, you know, sometimes guys do get hurt. Juan Perez got hurt this year just swinging a bat. Brandon Crawford got hurt this year swinging a bat. Just saying that somebody, you know, uh, saying that a pitcher is going is more likely to get hurt swinging a bat than another guy seems a little bit off to me. Uh, and Tim Hudson got hurt, you know, he, you know, his ankle got snapped in two just going to cover the bag at first base. And, you know, a lot of pitchers, especially relievers, uh, that's probably kind of changing now. But, you know, there would be those classical definitions of they're not always in the best physical shape, some pitchers. So even just, you know, allowing uh, Jonathan Broxton to run seems like almost a criminal act of, a, of an organization <laughs> because of the, the risk of injury or anything like that. And yet... Random stuff happens on the baseball diamond, but uh, you know, I, you know, Joe, to echo your point, I'm fine with the separation too. I, I, I don't mind that that there is such a thing as the American League having the designated hitter. I'm fine with that, and I and I like the option of watching a different. It's not even really a different style, really. It's just like it's not even a stylistic thing. It's like I can just watch a different type of game uh, because of the extra offense or what have you. Uh, then I can. I like that I have the two choices. And and baseball is yeah. not immune to different rules because the dimensions of every park are not necessarily uniform, and there there are there are different there are variations uh, throughout the sport. And so this idea of of homogenizing it or watering it or or basically making everything cookie cutter, it's just it's a weird it's a it's an odd mindset because baseball has. It's always been one of the quirkier sports, and when you try to breed out the quirks, I guess, I mean, great. Now you made it like everything else. What's the point? Well, the one thing I'll say is for the the separation of the pitchers and the hitters' job is the pitchers, because they have to focus so much on being able to throw a ball 95 miles an hour, which is a relatively recent development as far as the sheer volume of people that can do it. It's not about a conditioning of being able to hit. And then you've got people, I believe it was Gio Gonzalez in 2012, had like a 200 strikeout season, which sounds generally pretty good, except like 45 of those strikeouts were against pitchers that he was facing only. I just think effort just cannot hit. Is It's becoming so so dramatic that, that that's why it eventually the sport is moving in that direction. All right. 
Okay, so we've all we've all stuck to our corners here, and no one's <laughs> no one's moved moved the needle there. Yeah, surprising I, that yeah, surprising. arguments going to go on the internet didn't change any minds. Yeah. Now, one thing, yeah, exactly. One thing I saw that was an interesting uh, addition to this discussion was that it was it was a test balloon uh, to create exactly this, where we're all upset and our our hackles are raised to cover from something dire coming down the chute for the this next round of labor negotiations. Uh, and I thought that was an interesting uh, angle. That was an interesting thought that someone would put out there. Uh, again, this is a McCovey Chronicles. This is a Giants podcast, so to keep it in the Giants uh, arena a little bit, obviously the DH coming to the National League would affect them tremendously. It would, you know, Buster Posey wouldn't move to first base as we all know is coming. He would become the DH. Uh, but the other part of it is I can't fathom a situation where even the Giants – uh, would want any sort of labor unrest uh, or or anomalies or disruptions with these negotiations that are going to basically draw out over the course of the year as the deal expires at the end of the of 2016. And so, Joe, another thing that you and I tend to have conversations about are the labor agreements, and maybe you have a little more thought on this, but it just strikes me as whether or not the DH discussion is a is a smokescreen or a false flag operation or something <laughs> like that, that this you know the idea that you know in your mind where do you you know the labor dis, labor deal coming about? I mean, do you sense that this could turn sour in a in a heartbeat, or that the, that's the intention? Well, with the MLBPA having conceded on everything over the course of this CBA, I don't see that as a possibility. I mean, I've seen the, the, you know, expanding to, or the ideas of expanding to a 28 kind of revolving roster and all of those things. And I, I believe MLB's biggest concern, especially with the what current lawsuit is that anyone's going to try to involve the minor leagues in, in the, in the players union in some way. And so this is, if, if this is some way of getting, you know, extra roster spots or a conciliatory thing, I just I've tried to remember in my lifetime anytime the MLB has conceded anything to the players and I I'm I'm falling short. So what you're saying is uh, that essentially rosters would be expand the major league roster could be expanded to say 28 players you could only have 25 active per game or per series or something like that. Correct and I I I I think this is all just uh I I I think it's more, you know, theoretical and and just sort of uh experimental thought thought experiments as far as how how the rosters are going to run in the future but i i don't i don't believe that anything is going to change dramatically and at this exact moment before any uh you know regional sports network deals bubble bursts i i don't think anyone similar to the nba is looking to to shake up that snow globe too much uh doug you spent a lot of time in the you you go to a lot of minor league games, right? Or am I making yeah. that up? Okay, yeah, you make. <laughs> uh, you know, you look at a situation like that, um, and you know these guys are making what a a thousand dollars a month before taxes or something like that if they're not on a on a forty man roster or they don't have a signing bonus, I should say. Uh, um, yeah, it depends on the league because in 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 AAA they're paid okay, like they're they're paid badly relative to you know the general population, but 
they make enough to live on without a whole lot of uh, whole lot of problems. But the lower miners, for sure, it's really dire. So, you know, and I think another ripple or another whisper, I mean to say, is something about, you know, instituting an international draft, which would be essentially, uh, it's kind of a naked grab for limiting international costs as well. Uh, But I think, in my mind, the more, you know, the players union, the only argument that they could really make that might even remotely appeal to ownership in terms of, expanding minor league representation or anything like that or easing even easing what the rules are with the draft is it seems to me the only way that that the only thing they could say is this might lower costs it might uh you might be spending the same amount of money but spread out over more players like it might be a way of reining in free agent spending especially as Joe you mentioned there's going to be this bubble bursting at some point with these sports cable packages especially if you know if people are just cutting cable packages cutting the cord left and right um that's the only thing i could think if you have more players in the free agent market or commanding more of a free agent rate it would lower it would it would slow down the rate of the top end grow, going up it would you know because it's not that it's bad, the money's there, but that's just it. There's only so many people who can get uh, a Ioannis Cespedes, you know, AAV or anything like that, or or Clayton Kershaw, and and so the money's just going towards that and boosting it up. But then you've got these guys who are making very little or next to nothing, and they don't even have a lot of negotiating power with the the draconian measures of the draft that came through uh, in the last CBA. Um, well, I'd say there's not a lot of incentive for anybody with power to help out the minor leaguers. Um, you know, the teams don't want to pay them more because then they'll be paying more. And the Players Association doesn't represent them. So technically, they're like, well, you're not our problem. Uh, good luck. So, I mean, unless the, you know, the, there's the lawsuit pending, there might be more than one, but there's at least one lawsuit. Um of, for minor league wages, or unless they all just organize and go on strike or something, it's re- which won't happen. Obviously, it's really hard to see them making more money. Well, the only again, yeah, the only argument I could make is like, well, if you don't want to pay Bryce Harper forty five million dollars a year, you might consider paying joe double a uh you know uh, a living wage for his seasonal work or something something like that that you might if you bring in more bodies to essentially eat up more of that revenue it might slow you down on the top end but then i guess the counter argument this is again my not i am an idiot i don't know anything about anything <laughs> but to me it just seems like if you have more bodies in the room you're going that are going to be eating up that pie a little bit more it's just going to slow down your top end growth and i can definitely see owners around the league not wanting to pay one guy 45 or, or you know 45 million dollars a year even 5 years from now when 45 million dollars a year will be the equivalent of like i don't know how does inflation work that'll be like $5 i don't know <laughs> uh, sports inflation works faster than than all right, so all right, so if sports yeah, inflation works faster, uh, we're still adjusting to what a twenty million dollar pitcher actually means when when we when we talk about these contracts, and we are still having a hard time keeping up with what we think of as you know the fifteen million dollar versus the twenty million dollar pitcher when that, that number just keeps getting higher so fast we can't 
even as fans keep up with the idea of it. Right. Uh, and so Joe, where do you, where do you see this heading? You, you mentioned the concessions and everything, but do you see anything like the qualifying offer potentially uh, going away or, or anything like that? That's kind of acted strangely in terms of how free agency is done and, and, the draft pick compensation, maybe that system needs it to be looked at again. The only things I see that, that I could see that the players having any type of, of movement on is getting rid of the qualifying offer. So that, so the free agent market doesn't uh, stall on individual players as hard as it has, you know, given this Of course, now that we have acceptance of it, I, I don't even, I, I lived in a world where there was no one accepting the, the qualifying offer for so long that once it happened, it, it really, uh, made it hard to change my thought process. And then the other, the other is that, you know, maybe they could try to get arbitration eligibility shortened so that, so that the, the, the super two just becomes kind of the standard and it, it forces teams to make true decisions on up and down earlier. But no, the, the way it's going to go is they're going to talk about drugs, 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 and, and how much these players are cheating. And it's going to stay about the same. And then maybe a salary cap talk that, that, gets conceded as well. I, I see a lot of status quo staying the same just as kind of a lay fan looking in. Which, you know, baseball's pretty great. So <laughs> <laughs> as I sit back. Uh all right, so let's let's take some uh Twitter questions here. And Joe, you want to stick around and answer some Twitter questions with us? You being a deep Giants fan. Um, I'm biggest Giants fan in the room I'm currently in. <laughs> <laughs> uh doug do you have those ready or do you want me to look for them um yeah i have a few okay yeah okay uh, go for it. so uh well first one th- this isn't technically a question but i think we should mention it because we totally deserve it uh jameson at side out par said listen to episodes one through four while shoveling snow loved hearing that quita was a pipe dream and samara just sucked <laughs> Well, that was one of the things that that we opened up with on one of the podcasts, wasn't it? Where we said, okay, so (laughs) everything that we didn't want to happen is happening. Oh, that was in the Grant Grant cast. Yeah, that's right. We we did say both of those things. So (laughs) (laughs) just thought I should mention that because we deserved it. Yes. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the first question is. And sorry, Joe, this applies more to Brian and me than you because we have more hatred for the Dodgers, I'm assuming. Um, Don't know how much you're holding 88 against them. But the first question is from Derek and Kevin O'Hara at the BW pod. If you were offered a dream job with the Dodgers, do you take it? Also, what is your dream job? Hmm. I'll edit out all the silence, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, while I'm thinking about it, uh, well, Joe, what happens when they replay uh, Kirk Gibson's home run? Oh, the the closest breakable thing becomes the closest broken thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I say, it's why did he walk Mike Davis? <laughs> <laughs> because he hadn't walked anybody in years. That's why. <laughs> Three walks in 72 innings, but then one walk in the first inning of the World Series. Just galling. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I would say my dream job in baseball would be to be a, a field manager. Would I? So then I guess would my dream job be to manage the Dodgers? No, I would not take that job because I would be following in Tommy Lasorda's footsteps. So no, that is a that is a hard pass. That is a that is a no. <laughs> Screw and that, that question. We'll be right there for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I would I would rather manage. Oh man, I would rather manage the Marlins and the Dodgers if those are my only two choices. I would rather work for Jeffrey Loria than work for the Dodgers. No, screw this. <laughs> <laughs> Working for Jeffrey Loria would be weird. You you meet all sorts of colorful characters, and you would you would be exposed to so many things like I don't know human cloning or like the people who are trying to like establish a colony on the moon to get away from all the pores. Like it would be a crazy <laughs> world. And possibly I, I imagine that half of the staff of the Marlins is just dedicated twenty four seven to insurance fraud. <laughs> Our dedicated team of fraud experts. <laughs> That's why they record every conversation. That's right. Wait, so you're an expert at analyzing fraud and committing it. <laughs> uh, what about you, Doug? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know if it's my dream job because, you know, in my head, yes, it, it would be very cool to be like a GM. But, of course, I'd be very bad at being a GM because I don't know anything. Um. But like, w- would it be cool if, if the Dodgers like called me today and said, hey, we want to hire you as part of our analytics department? Would, would I accept it? And I might, you know, it's it's a way to get, you know, you, you could work in baseball. You could sort of look at things in ways you could figure out the ways that teams look at stats and use them and actually know the interaction that a, a front office has um, between that and scouting. Um, and I'd probably accept it, but I, I would also be looking to move on immediately because they're the doctors. What if you did such a great job in your first year that you won the Ned Coletti Award for Statistical Analysis Excellence? That would be the name of the award because it's Ned Coletti's award. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, w- I would accept that and hope that it came with a replica uh, Tw- 2002 NL champions ring. <laughs> it would come with a three-year contract. <laughs> uh, Joe, what's your dream job in baseball? And what, what, if the Dodgers offered it to you, would you take it? Well, it'd likely be in, in an analytics department also. And, and, you know, from what I understand, if you just get access to the database, I think it would be what Mike Piazza one, two, three to log in. Yeah. See how yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, oh man, if it was Kirk Gibson one two three, then I could never touch it. I don't know. I <laughs> and and I genuinely think I hate the Angels more, and I do hate the Dodgers quite a bit. So I think I can, I think I can get on board with you know spending that year with the Dodgers a lot easier and looking at that than if, if oh man if I was there in the Angels that that would that'd be a really tough burn for me. If that was the only job available to you, was with the Angels. Yes, as I, you know, Dreamcast having employment opportunities at all. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the future. (laughs) 
Uh, all right, what's the next question? <laughs> all right, uh, Kizar Soze. Yeah. At Kizar Soze asked, well, he asked a lot of things, but yeah. we're only picking one. So, in light of current Twitter events, why aren't the Giants crowdsourcing to go over budget? Uh, if, for those of you who might not know, though I'm assuming most of you do, um, the there was a tweet from a certain prominent celebrity named MySpace Tom, who said that he would pitch in and pay for Tim Linscombe's salary if the Giants brought him back. And then the official Twitter account of Smash Mouth, the band, agreed. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is real. Uh, so why are the Giants not crowdsourcing to go over their budget and sign more free agents? <laughs> There's no element of this sentence that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> it to me, you're like crowdsourcing for um, an extravagance that's not actually an extravagance. It's like, oh, I really want that that lead paint covered wagon from my youth, but it's now somehow in a museum, and I need to pay like thousands of dollars to get it. And when I get it, I'm gonna have lead poisoning from getting it so that's i'm gonna what, spend all day licking it yeah yeah exactly well it's just gonna seep into the soil it's just gonna be everywhere i don't know it's a uh, roster spot yeah uh right and a roster spot uh i'll be sleeping with that wagon um so uh why i guess my question is is why hasn't a team you know what and i bet you guys or someone will tell us right away like why hasn't another professional franchise of any sport really gone the crowdsourcing route for any any sort of thing uh i can see why like a major league baseball team like the big three i could an nhl team i could see them maybe doing this but it doesn't make sense that any of them would do that it's a really bad look and even though they're you know their their greed is beyond avarice known to most people uh, and their and their lack of morals when it comes to deal making, even for them, I think crowdsourcing to sign a free agent is a bad look that even they're aware of. Uh, so why haven't the Giants hasn't the Giants turned to it? Because it seems like it's ultimately going to hurt their the public perception, which they need to maintain at the highest possible levels to trade in so that we buy twenty eight dollar hats. Does that make sense? They'd rather they'd rather we spend the money on their merchandise and their food and their tickets than just, you know, putting money in an escrow account or something so that they can sign, pay for a player who's not going to be good and take up a roster spot and knock off someone who is good. That seems reasonable. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that crowdsourcing is mostly, I don't, I don't think it even works within the economic framework of baseball. And like Brian just said, it's not a good look at all. Teams need to keep up good PR because that's how you build a fan base. And saying, hey, who wants to pay for this guy we want is the opposite of good PR. One might even say it's bad PR. Yeah. My question is, why haven't, why haven't more crazy billionaires tried to exert their influence on a team just by saying, I'll pay for it? Like if Bill Gates said, I'm going to get every player for the Seattle Mariners, and if you guys say you can't afford it, I'm covering the difference. So you're just you know not telling the truth anymore. Why haven't more crazy billionaires gotten in on the baseball game from the outside just to be, you know, irritants? I think that's a that's a better question. 
where are our eccentric billionaires throwing their money around for really empty gestures? <laughs> Doesn't that seem like it would fall under bad PR too, though? Like for a, what? Oh, we can't we can't really afford to sign Andrew McCutcheon for you know sign into an extension for market rates, and then some you know you know the Heinz family comes in or whatever, and they're like, we'll pay for it, you know, or something like that. I still think it's a bad look. PR, it's bad for them because every t- it seems to me every time a celebrity or someone pledges a large degree of money, there's all the immediate backlash is like, why don't you give that money to people who could actually use it? Like that's the immediate <laughs> backlash. <laughs> um, I will also say that if you're, if you're an eccentric enough billionaire to give millions of dollars to a sports team, you probably just want to own a sports team. So really that's where you would sort of be looking like to, to put your money, I think, and actually being able to control something because you don't get to be a billionaire without loving to control things. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last Twitter question. And Joe, I think you should answer this question first. This one's from at TR Whitmire underscore OBT. I want to, it's Tim Whitmire is his name. Okay guys. So, and he asks, uh, why do the giants win the world series every other year? Why don't they win every year? So, so, Joe, I'll throw that to you first. Well, well, Brian, the first and most obvious answer is they don't try. And then the second one is that they don't sacrifice bunt enough in, in the odd years for some reason. It's because <laughs> Bochi doesn't, doesn't really think about winning in those years. Uh, and, so, and so if they just sacrifice bunt more and move the guy along and keep the line moving, then they'd win in all those years that, that right now, for whatever reason, they choose not to try. Now, Doug, there's a little backstory to that statement. There's two things okay. about the Giants winning that I know for sure have have pissed off, has pissed off Joe. And Joe, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to tell me which one has pissed you off the most. Was it the sacrifice bunt in 2012 uh, that led to the winning run, uh, making it 4-3 over Detroit? Or, <laughs> or was it Freddie Sanchez doing so phenomenally well in 2010? <laughs> in the World Series. Freddie Sanchez was good because all I ever did to other people was tell people that he was bad. And then he did that to spite me. So that was personal. <laughs> the, the, global, the, the global thing was that they made the sacrifice bunt seem like the best idea in the world because it had a 100% success rate in winning World Series for the Giants in 2012. And I cannot fault them for a successful plan. But, oh, it just... Giants second baseman, man. They, 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 they know how to turn the things I think I know upside down. <laughs> so, and, and Joe is married to a Giants fan. Uh, his wife is a diehard Giants fan. Uh, and so you're sitting next to her during this Freddie Sanchez stuff, though. <laughs> and, she like, and she was like turning to you, right? After every, after every little thing. So in 2010, we just started dating, and you'd be surprised. It's not as frequent as you'd think that Fred, the quality of Freddie Sanchez as a giant second baseman didn't come up in those first you know, six, seven months of our game. <laughs> he kind, of, he kind of slow played it. He, play, he, he played a long con a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we did um, put it in our I'll, wedding after we realized how good he was. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a nice. So I, I kind of understand where you're coming from on that, actually, because back in 2004, I was in a fantasy league with some of my friends, and a Padres fan drafted Mark Loretta, and I was like, "Oh God, Mark Loretta, he's like," 
That was my exact <laughs> phrase. And then he had a career year, and I've always hated him for it. <laughs> so, so I understand that uh, that Freddie Sanchez antipathy, even though Freddie Sanchez was generally a pretty good player who had a good who had a good postseason that year. Oh, I will say about the bunt. Singles guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I will say about the bunt in 2012. Um, it was Brandon Crawford against Phil Coke. Brandon Crawford was not a very good hitter in 2012. Phil Coke was a lefty who did pretty well against lefties. I can kind of understand it a little bit more than the, you know, the Ken Tremendouses of the world will will admit. Um, it was a little bit more rational than than people, I think, want to say it is. And Marco Scudero became the RBI machine of all RBI machines because giant second well, yeah. baseman. Of course. Yeah. That's how that works. Uh Real quick about fantasy, this I was trying to figure out how we could shoehorn the story in, and Joe and I have the nobody like the best nobody cares about your fantasy team story of all time. I feel uh, the league the year Joe was uh, I believe it was two thousand and four, and I traded or someone offered me a rod for like five of my players, and I traded. Vlad Guerrero and like four other players and A-Rod wound up doing as well as all of those players combined for the rest of the season. <laughs> and that, but that's not the story. The story is what happened on the last day of that season. Oh, I signed, I picked up Chan Ho Park as a free agent to fill my innings and get like the three points I needed to win the championship because in 2000, I think it was three having Chan Ho Park was never a positive except for me in that one day. <laughs> <laughs> and so it literally came down to, right. It was that start and like pitch for pitch. If, and if someone had, yeah, it was a, uh, it was, see, it's one of those boring fantasy league stories, but essentially it was, he pitched five innings and gave up like three runs and that was enough. Got the win and four strikeouts. And that was enough to beat like, Whoever I was playing had Johan Santana, who threw, you know, the exact Johan Santana start you were imagining in 2003. But I was able to beat him in all those categories because Chan Ho Park did exactly what an average major league pitcher would do when he'd shown so much less in Texas. (laughs) So that was a thrilling day (laughs) of watching (laughs) Yahoo update. Um, Oh, so but now I'm going to bring it back to the question. Why don't they win every year? I feel we've got enough. We've got n equals three here. We can figure out why that is. It's it's usually injuries. It, it's just usually injuries that that really kills the whole deal. Uh, I think they've their only year that they were really just bad. They were bad. They weren't good in 2015, but they were really bad uh, in 2013. The second half of the season. I mean, they're just a bad team. Um, and Angel Pagan was a 20-win player we didn't know about until that year. <laughs> uh, that, that to me, is the only reason why they don't win every year, is that they, they usually wind up having some significant injury times the following season. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, 2011, obviously, was Buster Posey and Freddie Sanchez. Um, Freddie Sanchez, who then got replaced by Bill Hall and Jeff Kepinger and the other Bill Halls and Jeff's Kepinger. Um, <laughs> that is the plural of Jeff Kepinger, <laughs> Jeff's Kepinger. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Last year, you know, the, the outfield was just, from an injury perspective, a disaster. The pitching staff was pretty beat up, uh, and it was just too tough. And obviously, I think we're talking about they get to get more... the, they get to the playoffs. It's about can they get to the playoffs Let's... and then see what happens. Let's, let's move on to our game. Oh, as always, you can always add us on Twitter to send us your questions. We ask for them at the beginning of the week, um, and we'll throw out our Twitter handles at the end of the show. And... Uh, also, we're looking for feedback, too, or at least I am. Doug's perfect, so that's not a problem. But we're looking for <laughs> feedback on what you think we we could be talking about or doing to improve the podcast. Put them in the comments below, uh, or again, add us on Twitter, and we'll give our handles at the end of the show. Okay, so our game this week is going to celebrate the return of The X-Files, which is one of my favorite shows growing up. Uh, if you aren't a fan of the show, that's okay. The basic setup is a couple of FBI agents. Uh, one is a true believer, believes in spooky stuff, and the other one is a skeptic, scientific person. They investigate strange uh, cases involving the paranormal uh, and supernatural. So that's the setup in case you somehow didn't know what The X-Files was about. So the game this week is uh, we're, we're gonna, each of us is going to throw out one Giants player And we're going to come up with what is their X-Files name and what is their X-Files paranormal supernatural power. We are excluding from this game Hunter Pence because that's just too – it's just that joke's been been done to death. So we're not – Hunter Pence is not an alien in this game. And um, what's that? He smokes cigarettes in the background. He smokes cigarettes in the background. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I guess one classic example of an X Files character name is Fluke Boy, and he was some sort of weird mutant creature that lived in the sewers. And I think he would like grab people when they sat on the toilets uh, and like sucked out their insides. Uh, but and so not every character has a specific fun name, but we're going to give them one and then try to come up with their power. Um, so. Joe, since you're the guest, uh, we'll give you a chance to get into the rhythm of the game. Why don't you just throw out a Giants player for us, and uh, Doug and I will tackle it. Well, I uh, avoiding uh, Hunter Pence, then, then I, I say we just uh, move, move over to your second favorite and then go with Angel Pagan. Angel Pagan. Okay. I'm trying to come up with something that's not obvious because anything involving his, his, his charisma and his charm um, – it seems a little on the nose you know what i mean right i mean i'm like well you have his looks and i'm kind of that's right trying to not do it but uh okay i can all right his his name is going to be reverso and his ability is his ability to switch between matter and antimatter so i'm taking angel pagan's ability to switch hit and i'm saying he can become matter and antimatter, and so Mulder and Scully would investigate some sort of weird uh, space-time rips caused by his appearance. So literally, you could actually—I'm bringing back in his his charm because you know when he's around, unusual things happen. People do unusual things, or weird weird stuff happens. So he's—that's Reverso. That's it. Um. Yeah, remember how I just said I was going to avoid talking about his looks? I'm oh, not going to do, do it. that. Do it. Um, I think his name is Angel Nova. 
Angel Nova. And he, uh, he, he convinces anyone, really. You know, at the beginning of the episode, they might think it's just women, but it's not just women. It's men, too. He can basically convince anyone to do anything he wants through his, his powerful eyes and his temper, his temperament, which is just so, so charismatic. I think he just brings it all. And it's sort of a, it's a form of mind control as long as you're looking at him. I think that's what he can do. Okay. All right. So then, like, when Mulder and Scully question him, he's, he's kind of, he's playing them, but they're both attracted to him or something. Or, like, he's in right. their thrall. So, yeah, right early in the episode, thing. we, yeah. So we think it's just Scully in his thrall, and then it turns out, no, Mulder's even more in his thrall. <laughs> And she'll say, Mulder, I don't know what you see in him. And he'll say, I see everything, Scully. He's got it all. <laughs> He's the complete package. Yes. <laughs> is, is this Californication all of a sudden? <laughs> with That's right. Mulder, you two were gone for a long time. <laughs> uh, all right. So there, there's Right in your eyes uh, and convince you he can play center field defense. <laughs> That's his greatest power, his greatest illusion. Uh, all right, um, I'll throw someone out. Um, Joe, are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Jeff Samarja. Let's get the new guys in here. Hmm. Jeff Samarja. As far as X-Files thinking, I go immediately to Tombs and looking on, you know, putting out bile to create a, a, to create his little nest out of newspaper and bile. But that was the very first thought I had because he just kind of threw it against the wall as he was building himself a little shelter that presumably, you know, returned fastballs couldn't hit him in. Um, <laughs> so, so that was the very, I, I, I could just see Jeff Smarge with his, long hair licking on pieces of newspaper and throwing them in a corner to cre- to create his own little habitat eating livers uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> all right so he's tombs too he's tombs too yes. instead of an asset to two so. <laughs> building up the mound is something he can hide behind okay <laughs> all right buster tries to go out there and talk to him and he's just licking the paper <laughs> then he spreads them out to a very thin line and burrows a hole under the field. I don't know. It's He's a weird-looking guy. He is that, and he's very tall, so it would be kind of creepy if he was coming at you, uh, crawling at you, trying to eat your liver. <laughs> um, I, I see him as kind of, uh, kind of like Luke Wilson in Bad Blood, where he, uh, you know, he's different. Sometimes he's really good. Sometimes he's really bad. You don't know. But he's secretly a vampire. (laughs) But kind of a reverse vampire, right? Since he pitches during the day. Yeah, well. (laughs) And and kind of a reverse vampire because he pitched in that empty stadium where everyone could see him, but he couldn't see anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, Those, those are good. Those are good. We've got a sequel, which is in the tradition of the revival. And then we've got a a nice reverse vampire theory. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, Doug. 
The last one, Matt Duffy. Matt Duffy. Matt Duffy keeps his name. His name's Matt Duffy. But his his power is he he is so unassuming that people don't realize that he has the power to turn people who tick him off inside out. So he can just he can he turns people inside out when they tick him off. And he he never raises his voice. He never he never seems that he's angry, but if you slight him, boom, inside out. Okay, I like it. I, I saw him as, as, as like with, with a, again, a, a very generic name of, of, you know, Mark Evans, but he has the ability to, you know, not just control his huge cat, but all animals and, and attack people. <laughs> <as well. laughs> uh, does he still have a calm demeanor when he, when he tells, when he has them do his bidding? So. That to me would be the creepy part of Mark Evans is that he doesn't really raise his voice while the animals attack. Right. And and so he's just talking to someone all of a sudden as, you know, you know, three bears are descending on this person. He doesn't really flinch. And that's what makes him so terrifying. <laughs> so the setup. Oh, to he, that episode... like... oh go ahead. Yeah. 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 So in the teaser, he's got in the teaser, there's somebody who like kind of pisses him off, but he doesn't say anything. So he's in the woods, you know, he has his friend who, you know, he's there with a friend who kind does something that kind of pissed him off. And a little bit later, his friend goes off in the woods alone and these three bears just start mauling him. And Matt Duffy is watching in the distance and he kind of slightly smiles and we go into the theme song. That's good. <laughs> That's good. And then for the set, for like the, the set up the tension in the episode like Mulder Scully agrees to watch their neighbor's cat or something and uh, <laughs> and then that will come in later as the cats enlisted to attack so. alright well thanks for listening uh, to this week's McCovey Croncast we'll, uh, uh, we're on Twitter uh, again we're on iTunes uh, download us, rate us we're the highest rated podcast in the history of iTunes, don't fact check that. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find uh, me on Twitter, Brian Murphy at every sixth day. Doug, uh, I'm on Twitter at Moonwalk McFly. Uh, Joe, you can find me on Twitter at Mid Afternoon. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Oh, I had a very good time discussing baseball as always, and you know, thanks for having me and. You know, normally I consider this, you know, just one of our normal three-hour conversations on a phone, so it was nice to formalize it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. All right, well, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye.